Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we're coming together as your family this morning and we want to hear from you. Father, we thank you that you are alive and active. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're present. And uh, Father, we thank you that you have a word for us. And so Father, as we open your word, as we um, delve into to Romans 12, I just want to thank you that that you are the one that is speaking to us. Father, I want to pray that you would humble us, that you would excite us for who you are, and that, Father, that you would be the one breathing life into us. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are good. And we thank you that we are your sons and daughters coming together for a meal as a family. In your name, amen. Well, it's been a big week for Amy and I, big couple of weeks. I don't know how you guys have done it as parents. It's an emotional job. Um, we, uh, Eli started school for the first time, started school yet. Um, Jasper started preschool and, uh, and it's been, been an emotional ride. Um, when Eli was about two years old, um, Bollum, um, who's got a gift of prophecy, prophesied over him that he was Mowgli from the Jungle Book. And, uh, and one of the things with Eli is a very free spirit. Um, he, he loves nature, he loves being outside and, and when he went to preschool, he went to, to Kent Hurst and, um, he, he loved preschool, um, very open-ended play, kind of got to do what he wanted and, uh, and we knew that going into a classroom for the first time was going to be a, an interesting transition to say the least for this wild little man. Um, and, uh, and so this week's been an interesting week on, on Monday and Tuesday, he, you know, he did really well, went into his classroom, um, Start of the day, got to the end of the day. On Wednesday, start of the day, and then something happened. He, uh, I don't, I don't know what triggered it for him, um, but he, uh, he decided that the classroom was no longer for him. He was a kid of the jungle, and so he ran. And, uh, and he ran to the other side of, of the school. Um, he was chased by, chased by three teachers, I'm, I'm told. And, uh, and he tells the story, he told us in the afternoon, he's like, I just kept running. And then they cornered me and I couldn't go anywhere, and so they got me. And he was just so disappointed that they got him. But um turns out what happened was he ran to the other side of the school and he went past one of the, the classrooms where um, Miss Water, Mrs. Waters um, teaches, Kate, who a lot of you would know. She teaches year eight class. And Kate was the one, Kate's had a lot to do with Eli. She knows him well. And so Kate um, Kate was the one who kind of coerced him and, and talked him into joining, um, joining back into, um, you know, society. And... Um, and she takes him, takes him back up and the year eight class that she teaches had seen all of this. And so she's taking Eli back up the classroom and they're clapping him. They're applauding him for his work. They thought it was amazing that he evaded the teachers for so long. And the next day on Thursday, I hadn't heard any of this. The next day on Thursday, I'm walking in with Eli and we're, you know, we're trying again. We're going again. And, um, we walk in and, and there is this year eight class. They're about to get on the, on the bus for an excursion. And they just, the whole class, like literally 30 kids. I had no idea what was going on, but 30 kids turned and pointed to him and said, that's the kid. And they just started applauding him. Um, one of them calls out, you're a bloody legend, mate. And like, they just, they just thought it was the, the funniest thing in the world. And, um, and so Eli, like, it's been a, a bit of a transition for him. It's been an interesting one. On Friday, got through the day really well. So we're three out of five last week. We're doing okay. And one of the things for us as parents, one of the, the, the convictions that I have as dad is that I want to journey with my boys. One of the, um, one of the main, one of the most influential passages of scripture for me when I, I came to know Jesus, one of the things that has taught me more than anything is the prodigal son. And in the prodigal son, the verse that just 
um, have, has framed so much of my thinking around grace is the simple line, the father runs to his son. The father runs to his son. One of the things that the convictions that I carry as a dad, the heart that I carry as a dad, is that I want to do relationship with my boys really well. I want to journey with them. I want to walk with them. And so one of the things that we did with Eli this week is um, we wanted to listen to him. We wanted to talk to him. We wanted to understand what is it, why is it that when you get in the classroom, you just feel the need to just just run. And it was really interesting when Amy was sitting with him, I think she was playing Lego at the time, when she was sitting with him, talking to him about school and about his teachers. And he loves school. He loves his teacher, loves his classroom, but just feels this need to run. And one of the things that he said to Amy that I thought was really insightful is he said, my brain tells me to run, and so I run. And so Amy had this big conversation with Eli about how like, she, he is able to control his brain, control his thoughts, and this was a really big deal to him. He, he was amazed that he was the one that was in charge of his brain, that he could actually tell his brain what to do. Um, but it was through like a simple conversation with him that like on the Friday we were able to get like get him into school and and keep him in his classroom because we just had this conversation around this idea that he was able to control what his brain did and what the, the way in which he responded to the thoughts that he had. And one of the things, the conviction that I have as a dad is that I want to be like the the father and the prodigal son. I want to be the father that runs towards my boys. I want to be the father that journeys with my boys, that is there for them, that walks with them, that does relationship with them really well. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't ever discipline them. It doesn't mean that I don't ever correct behavior. Um, quite the opposite. But what it means is that I do relationship with them, that I walk with them, um, and then I journey with them over the long haul. And what we're doing is we're going to be sitting in Romans 12. We're going to be sitting in this chapter for the next eight weeks. And this chapter is a really profound chapter of Scripture. I mean, the book of Romans itself is an incredible book. And if you haven't read the book of Romans over the last, let's say, two years, then I want to encourage you to jump back into the book of Romans. Um, the, The chapter of Romans, chapter 12 of Romans itself, is a really incredible chapter. And I just want to give us a little analogy to help us over the next eight weeks of what what it is that we're actually doing, um, and the structure in which the, the structure that we're looking at. So I want you to think about today. We're going to be looking at basically Romans twelve verse one, and I want you to think of of uh, the first eleven chapters of Roman as the foundation of a house. I want you to think of of a slab. I want you to think of the footings. I want you to think of all the things that, are, that make up the structures of a house. Um, and I want you to, to think that chapters 1 to 11 are like the, the foundation of a house. In chapter 12, verse 3 to 8, and we read, we read it on the screen, um, we read about um, all the different gifts that we are given, all the different gifts that make up the body. And the way in which we can think about this in this analogy is these are the rooms of the house. There are bathrooms and there are bedrooms. There are kitchen. There's a kitchen, maybe two, if you're, you know, depends on your house. Um, but there are different rooms in the house that make up the house. They're all unified by the foundation. They're all unified by the fact that they're the house, and they all have different functions in the house. They all bring something different. They all have um, a value that they bring to the house. Um, the house is made up of different rooms, but they're unified by the foundation. And in Romans 12, verse 9 to 21, we then talk, we then look at the, the cultures of what it looks like to live as a family. We've looked at the last few weeks. What does it look like for us to live as a community of people? Um, and what we're going to be doing in Romans 12 is we're going to be concentrating on verses 9 to 21. 
Um, we're going to be spending six weeks in verses 9 to 21, and these verses concentrate on what it looks like for us to live in community together. What does it look like for us to love each other? What does it look like for us to show the world in which we live who we are um, when we come together and when we do life together? And I want us to think about this in this analogy, in this image, is the furnishings of a house. I want you to think about these things as like the bed, the the, the artwork, the, the rugs. Um, a few weeks ago, Amy was just for some reason fixated on buying a rug. She just got in her mind that we needed a new rug at home. And she would have spent like three nights looking at different rugs on the internet, trying to find the right rug. And the amount of times she'd call me over the, the internet, the computer, and just say, and just say, look, look at these rugs. What do you think? These three, what do you think? I, I swear to you, I could not tell the difference. There was no difference in them at all. But she was just fixated on getting this rug. And I'm sitting there going, do we even need a rug? We've got some carpet. I don't even think we need a rug. But she was, she was concentrating. Like she, she had it in her mind that she, we were going to get a rug. Um, she ends up getting the rug, great rug, looks great in the lounge room. I sat on it and went, this is a really good choice. I never would have thought to get a, get a rug. I never would have cared really what the rug looked like. I couldn't even tell the difference between these 20 different rugs that she was looking at. But when she brought it into the house, it made it homely. Um, that's where the kids seem to play for some reason. I don't understand it, but Amy, Amy says this is where the kids are going to play, and that's where they play. They jump to the rug. Um, it's comfortable. I've been really enjoying it. And so, like, I want you to think about, in verse 9 to 21, when we look at these over the next two months, these are the furnishings of the house. They're the things that make a home. They're the things that reflect the personality and the values of the owner. They're the things that bring it to life. They're the things that offer hospitality. They're the things that make it welcoming in a home. They're the little details that when you walk into the house, they're the things that you go, this is my home. They're the things that when someone walks in, they go, I, I, I feel at home in your home. Um, I love the artwork that you've got on the, on the wall there. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to concentrate on the furnishings of the house. And in verse 9 to 21, these are things like sincere love. We're told to hate what is evil. We're told to be devoted to each other. We're told to honor each other. We're told to carry a zeal. And so in Romans 12, we're going to be looking at a lot of things about how we act, how we treat each other, um, how we love each other. And how we act matters, what we do matters, how we treat each other matters, the cultures, the things that are normal in our lives together, they really, really matter. And yet if we were just to look in Romans 12 at the things, the cultures, if we were just to look at the things that we do, if we were just to look at Romans 12 in isolation, it would actually be really damaging for us. Because at the core of who we are as followers of Jesus, the core of who we are is the foundation of grace. We are people who come together who have received new lives. The old life is gone, the new life has come. We have new identities, we carry a new heart. And today, the message that I want to remind us of is how we are to live out the way Romans 12 teaches us, which is a really beautiful picture of what the church is meant to be. The, the picture that we crave, the way in which we honor each other, the things, the way in which we love each other, the way in which we encourage each other, the way in which we are passionate, joyful, hospitable, these things come from relationship with God. The thing that defines us from the patterns of the rest of the world is that we are a people who have been transformed. We've gone from death to life. This is a completely countercultural idea because everything in culture is teaching. Every, every message that we hear in culture is if you want to find change, if you want to improve, if you want to step up, if you want to level up, then you need to look to yourself. 
then it's within you to find that. It's within you to grow. It's this pattern of self that we're taught. And yet in Romans 12 verse 1, we're taught a very different message. And it starts with the word therefore at the start of chapter Romans 12. And so as we enter into Romans 12, we read this. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, we all know this, and I've been told this a million times by you guys, but whenever we read the word therefore, it's important. It's not just one of those words that we read and just go, oh, it doesn't have that much of a meaning, like we'll just skip over that. Whenever we read the word therefore, it's signifying that there is something really important that has gone before that. There is something that has been built um, before that we really need to understand before that we can get to the next part, the next section of the house that we want to be involved in building. And so the therefore in this in this passage is really important because the therefore in this passage is looking at Romans 1 to 11. And it's, it's to, we're told in the first line what Romans 1 to 11 is all about. We're given this beautiful summary. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. So all of chapters, all of Romans chapter 1 to 11 is, is, is found in this idea, therefore, in view of God's mercy. In Romans 5, verses 6 to 8, we are told, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 3, verse 22, we're told, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through the faith in his blood. This righteousness, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, righteousness for Paul is a really big deal. The word righteous is used 55 times in the book of Romans. He's obsessed with it. It's one of the great overarching themes of the book of Romans. And the idea of being righteous is really simply being right with God. It's being in step with God. It's being in deep relationship with God. That is the simple understanding of what righteousness means. It's the prodigal son. In Romans 8 verse 9, we're told, You, however, you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if the spirit is in you, your body is dead because of sin, and yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness, because you are right with God, because of the faith that you carry. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living within you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. In Romans 8 verse 14, we're told, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share with his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. It's really important that we understand who we are in the book of Romans. 
It's really important that we understand what Paul is getting at because what Paul is, is saying is in view of his mercy, we are now righteous. We are now able to walk in step with the Father. We are now able to have deep relationship with the creator of the universe. We are now justified before him. We are now redeemed. We are now pure in his sight. We are now led by the spirit that he has given us. We are now set free. We have now been raised to life. We are now sons and daughters of God, and we are heirs of God. And this is our foundation. As we approach Romans 12, as we approach the practical elements of what it looks like to live together, as we approach the practical things of how it is that we are to care for each other, how it is that we are to show the world who we are, we need to understand what our identity is. We need to understand what our foundation is in here. Because when we understand that we are righteous, when we understand that we are redeemed, when we understand that we are pure, it completely changes how we live, how we walk, the the way in which we go about our day-to-day. This is our identity. This is our foundation. And the order in which we do things in life matters. If you're a builder and you're building a house, for instance, this is the most obvious statement in the world. You could be Jamie Oliver building a house. You could be just so passionate about building the biggest kitchen in your home. You could just love cooking, but the last thing you're going to do is build the kitchen before you build the foundation. It might be the most important element to you in that house, but it is not the thing that you build first. The foundation is critical. It is the priority. It can't wait for other things to be built. It's the priority that enables everything else to be built. And the strength of our foundation will determine the strength of the whole house that we live in. If we lay it wrongly, the house will lose its integrity. And this is what Romans 1 to 11 is telling us. It's the therefore. Paul is saying, because of our new identity, let me show you what it looks like to live as his people. Here is the way in which you ought to live. It's really important that we understand this idea of mercy, this this understanding of grace. Because one of the traps that we are constant, we need to be constantly on the lookout for in, a, in our community, um, but in our own lives as well, is this idea of religion. And religion is this simple idea where we try and work our way to God's favor, where we try and work ourselves towards God, where we get caught concentrating on the creation itself instead of being concentrating on the creator, where we concentrate on the outside and what we do instead of, and neglect the heart and the inside and what he is trying to do within us. It's where we concentrate on trying to build pretty rooms in a house without understanding that we need a foundation to be, for them to be built upon. We know what scripture talks about with that. It's really important that as we go into this eight-week series of Romans, as we look at what it looks like, the postures with which we are called to take with each other, that we understand His grace. That we understand that we cannot love each other without His grace that we cannot carry a zeal for his name, that we cannot carry a passion for his name without his mercy and without his grace liberating us. Because the problem is, and this is one of the dangers in church, this is one of the dangers when we teach. If we look at a list like this, and we look at the list and we go, this is how we are to live in in Romans 12, verse 9 to 21, that we are to do all of these things, If that doesn't come out of a place of mercy, if that doesn't come out of a place of grace, if that doesn't come out of a place of relationship with our Father, then these things become tiring and burdensome. They become really hard. 
all of a sudden the idea of loving our neighbor, like it doesn't just flow naturally. The idea of coming and doing community together and getting out of bed on a Sunday morning becomes burdensome, becomes tiring. The idea of dropping meals over to each other, the idea of going out of our way to do things for each other becomes tiring and it becomes burdensome, becomes laborsome. If we are not carrying the heart of the Father and the things, the cultures of the Father, we will never understand. One of the greatest passages I think that has um, influenced my understanding of this and has changed me so incredibly much, so incredibly much, is Ezekiel 36. It's one of the most beautiful principles that I read in all of Scripture. Ezekiel 36 um, says this. Uh, as God is talking, as the prophet Ezekiel is talking to the Israelites, he says this. God says through Ezekiel, I will show the holiness of my name. And I want you to just listen to the, the um, repetition that is going on in this passage in Ezekiel 36. The repetition of I will. This is what God is saying to his people. This is what God is saying to us. I will show the holiness of my great name. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. I will take you out of the nations. So he is the one that frees us. Goes on to say, I will gather you and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. He is the one that instills grace in us. He is the one that makes us white as snow, as we're told in the Psalms. And this has been um, huge for me. One of the, Simo, who gave his testimony in January, um, has been pushing us in this um, hugely here at, uh, at Dural. But it's just this understanding that when Jesus um, cleans us, when he purifies us, we are pure. We are then seen pure in his eyes. And our job then is to walk in his grace. Our job then is to walk in the new life that God has given us. He goes on to say in Ezekiel 36, I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Do you notice the theme? He's not saying you will do this. You will work hard to do this. You will be able to achieve this. He's saying, I will do this for you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove the heart of stone that you carry and I will put my heart within you. The things that my heart beats for, your your heart will beat for also. The things that I am passionate about, you will be passionate about also. And this is the the kicker for me in, in Ezekiel 36. I will put my spirit within you. And I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will move you to do those things. He is the one that will excite us for his ways. He is the one that will excite us to love each other, to care for each other, to have a greater vision for each other's lives. He is the one that will excite us in the patterns and rhythms that he finds important. He is the one that will make them so attractive for us. He is the one that will um, that will create that zeal in our heart um, that we cannot force, that we cannot do by ourselves. I will put my spirit within you and move you to follow my decrees. And he goes on to say, you will live in the land that I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. Ezekiel 36 is painting this beautiful picture of a deeply relational God that is taking us by the hand and saying, this is where I will lead you. 
This is where I will take you. This is where I will, what I will inspire you in. This is how the cultures in which I will make normal for you. And we're told he is the one that redeems us. His grace will be the thing that liberates us from death to life. He is the one that gives us a new heart. He is the one that will help us to keep in step with the spirit because he is the one that has put a new spirit within us. So we have this foundation of righteousness where he will move us to keep in step with him. Galatians 5, we we read, The spirit and the sinful nature are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. And if you don't live by the spirit, we carry this heart of stone that Ezekiel 36 is, is talking about. And the cultures, the things that are, the overflows of carrying a heart of stone in our lives come out like this. It's hatred, it's discord, it's selfish ambition, it's dissension, it's factions, it's jealousy, it's rage, it's impurity, it's idolatry. When the inside is impure, when their heart is a heart of stone, these are the cultures that are normal in our lives. These are the things that creep out of our lives, in the small and in the large. But when we walk in step with the Spirit, when we recognize that we carry the Spirit of God, that we carry a heart of flesh, when we walk in step with Him, we are told that the things that will be normal for us, the cultures that will be normal in our workplace, the cultures that will be normal in our families, when we're loving our kids or loving our grandkids or loving our husbands or our wives, will be love. There'll be joy. It'll be peace. It'll be kindness. It'll be patience. It'll be goodness. It'll be faithfulness gentleness and self-control. These are the cultures that will come out of a heart that is in step with the Lord. These are the cultures that will come out of, um, will come out of our heart that is of one of flesh. And so we're told to keep in step with the Spirit in the New Testament. You see, Galatians 5 and Romans 12, the cultures that we're talking about, the ways in which we're called to love each other, the ways in which we're called to outwork the gospel, they're really similar. In Romans 12, we're told love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. And this is how we show the world the goodness of the Father. When we have these cultures as things that are just normal in our lives, when these are the things that we go, that we, we outwork just, just really naturally, the world looks at the church, the world looks at our lives, the world looks at our relationships and goes, hold on, that actually makes sense. There's something attractive about that. But for this to actually happen, it needs to be an overflow of, of relationship in our lives. If we think about a cup, our, our, the cup is meant to be filled up and the, the outworkings, the cultures, the things that we're talking about here, the doings should be the overflow that flows onto the ground. The cup itself should be filled with a relationship with God. It should be filled with this beautiful overflow of just enjoying him and making much of him. And so practically, if we look at this passage in Romans 12, love must be sincere. How do we even know what love is unless we experience ourselves? 
How do we know what love is unless this is a, a daily thing for us, where we are experiencing God's love for us? Unless we are in relationship with a God that has a bigger vision for our lives, if we're, unless we're in a relationship with a God that is sacrificing himself for us, how can we outwork that same love into the people's lives in which we do life with? How can we do that with any sincerity? We're told in this passage to hate what is evil. We will only carry the same response to the atrocities of life that happen in this world if we carry the heart that God carries. It's far too easy for us to become numb. We think about it. We watch TV. We watch the news. We watch the atrocities that go on in this life. We watch the murder and the poverty, the sickness, the injustice. And it's just far too easy for us to become numb. It's not that we don't care. It's not that we don't want to do something about it. But it is far too easy for us to become numb, to become people who don't act on the things that we know we want to and that we ought to. And yet here in Romans 12, we're told really, really, we're given really strong language. Hate what is evil. And the only way in which we can hate what is evil in this world, the only way we can hate the injustices that are going on in this world is if we carry a heart of flesh. If we carry the same heart that the Father carries. We're told to be devoted to each other in brotherly love. Devoted to each other in brotherly love. We live in a fickle society. We live in a society of, of shallow relationships. We go from place to place, community to community. Something goes wrong, we decide, okay, no worries, I'm out. There's a lot of beauty to the world in which we live in in 2019. We have so much access across the other side of the world. With a click of a button, um, we know what our friends are doing. We know the movements that they're up to. We know where they are. Um, we live in a time where we have so many different people that we're in relationship with. But this idea of doing deep relationship, deep community, where we are relying on the people around us and they are relying on us um, in the same way is diminishing. And it's becoming much easier to go from community to community when something goes wrong. When we have a disagreement, when we have an argument, when there's someone that offends us, when there's something that goes on, it's becoming easier and easier to have more options and to have shallow relationships. And yet we're here being told, be devoted to each other like brothers. This is so different than the culture in which we live in. And the only way that we can be devoted to each other in brotherly love is if we're carrying the heart of the Father who understands what deep relationship purely is. When we carry His heart, we start to see each other as God sees each other. We get excited about each other. We have deep vision for each other's lives. We see the best in each other. We raise each other to a higher standard. And yet our inclination as people is very different. When we carry a heart of stone, we judge each other. We find reasons for faults. We see the problems. We see the things that we dislike. We find reasons not to like each other. And in many ways, when we carry the heart of stone, this is our inclination. And at the heart of it, this is what causes disunity, a lack of love. And so to understand what we're talking about, we can't start by saying, be devoted to each other in brotherly love, because we aren't actually equipped to be able to handle that. We mess it up. We stuff it up. We need to understand that it is in view of God's mercy that we are able to offer ourselves as vehicles of worship. That it is in view of His mercy 
that we are able to see as he does, that we are able to carry the heart that he does. And that heart means that we will love each other, that we will encourage each other, and that we will be a part of building something that is so much bigger than anything that we could ever do by ourselves. Therefore, in view of his mercy, the reason that we are going to get this right, the reason that we're going to be able to apply what we're talking about in Romans 12 over the next two months is because of the foundation that we have. It's because of the grace that we carry. It's because of the mercy that we have been shown. And because we have a foundation of relationship with him, because he is the father that comes running towards us, we are then able to understand and we are able to experience what it looks like to keep in step with him. For many of us, um, we may be tired. For many of us, we may be carrying guilt. Um, and a lot of that comes down to this idea that we know what we should be doing. We know what we ought to be doing. In many ways, we may even know what we want to be doing. But we haven't been in step with the Spirit. We haven't been in relationship with Him. We haven't been allowing Him to renew us and redeem us and and transform us. And so we have been trying to build this foundation by ourselves. We have been trying to, to live above our pay grade in many ways. And if there is this constant flatness in our lives when it comes to following Jesus, the problem is that we haven't experienced and understood his relationship with us. We may have at one point, we may have a couple of months ago, but if we're not experiencing that now, I just want to encourage us and remind us that we have a father who comes running towards us. We have a father who wants to do deep relationship with us who is excited by the small little things in your lives and the big overarching themes that we have. One of the things that Andrew's been uh, preaching and teaching our young guys at youth for a long time now is that we're not called to be a people who focus on behavior. And I want to finish on this point. We are called to be a people who are focused on our identity. If we focus on our behavior, we will never meet the root problem. One of the things he's talked about is the idea that we may win a battle. We may fix a behavior in someone's life. We may not, but we won't win the long game. We won't teach our young people, for instance, about the pleasure of God, the joy of his mercy, the freedom of his grace. We won't help our young people experience the joy of a new heart. We won't help our people to experience what it is like for God to be the one to inspire us to follow him, to be excited about following him. The biggest thing that we'll ever do with each other, the biggest thing we'll ever do with our young people, the biggest thing I'll ever do with my kids is to help them experience their new identity in Jesus. It's to help them experience what their relationship in God is like. Because that will shape their behavior infinitely more than concentrating on the behavior itself. So in Romans 12, we're going to be looking at a lot of behaviors. We're going to be looking at a lot of ways in which we are called to love each other. But I want to remind us that the foundation for this series is his mercy. It's what he has done for us. It's the foundation that he has laid so that we can live lives that are free. Ezekiel 36 verse 27. For I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my ways. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you that when you died on the cross for us, that you paid the ultimate price. I want to thank you that when you rose again three days later, you liberated us into a new life. I want to thank you that you called us into a life where we will never taste death. 
Father, I want to thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. I want to thank you for the way in which you have overflown your compassion into our lives. Father, I want to pray that you would help wake us up, that you would help us to experience your grace afresh today, that you would just help us to experience relationship with you today. And Father, I want to thank you that we know and understand and are convicted that you are the one that has done all the work, that you are the one that has loved us. So Father, as we go about this next two months, as we look at what it looks like, as we investigate what it looks like to live as your people, Father, I want to pray that you would help us to do that. I want to pray that you would inspire us to follow you. I want to pray that you would inspire us to love each other. I want to pray that you would inspire us to have a hope for each other. And Father, as you do that, I want to pray that we as a church would be a part of building something that is so much bigger than ourselves. I want to pray that we would be a people that are reflecting your glory in the world in which we live. That we would be offering hope and peace and grace and joy to the culture in which we live, to the society in which we live, to the people in which we do life with. Father, I want to pray that you would renew us, that you would remind us of our identity so that we can go out and just be your light in the world in which we live. So, Father, over the next two months, I want to pray that you would help us to build this house. And, Father, I want to thank you that you are the one that has equipped us with everything that we need. In your name, amen.